0: Sounds yep.
1: like your trousers. <laughs> yeah,
2: there we <laughs> go. Sounds like my trousers.
0: Baltimoreons is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. You're listening to Baltimoreons, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith.
1: Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing? It is lovely to see you out there in Birdland. We are coming back to you pretty quick since our last episode well we, we, we recorded the episode a week ago but we were not so snappy on getting it out <laughs> but now we come to you with a 10 game that's right a double digit division lead on the American League East that's right I've literally never been able to say those words in my life welcome ladies
0: and gentlemen to episode 106 of Baltimoreans we have got a fantastic show for you tonight folks in a few minutes we'll chat with Baltimoreans' favorite Ben Maston who joins us tonight to give a Yankee fans perspective on the current and future state of Bomber nation. Now, some quick thoughts about the phrase Bomber Nation. <laughs> One, how is there not an 8-bit Nintendo game called Bomber Nation? Also, it's very close to Abomination. And that was going to be point number two. All right, excuse me for stepping on point number two. Oh, no, no, no. I, I'm happy to know that we're, we're synced up. In, in, in agreement. Now, ladies and gentlemen, no episode of Baltimore Ons would be complete without our most popular recurring segment, the Andy Van Slyke Franchise Report. It's kind of fun, Baltimoreans, to stop every once in a while and marvel at the number of once great players who brought their careers to Baltimore to die.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Van Slyke, the pride of the early 90s Pittsburgh Pirates powerhouse. By the way, try to say Pittsburgh Pirates powerhouse three times fast. Van Slyke <laughs> posted a laughable 159-221-317 triple slash for the 95 Birds, joining an elite coterie of washed-up wallopers in the Orioles' Hall of Lame. Fellow members, <laughs> lest we forget include Bobby Bonilla, Joe Carter, Sammy Sosa, Dwight Evans, Vladimir Guerrero, Derek Lee, Will Clark, Eric Davis, and those are just the ones I can think of off the top of my head. That is a trail of tears. I'm sure that you, the Baltimoreans, can think of innumerable others, and we, or more accurately, Scotty the Intern, welcome <laughs> your corrections via Twitter, where our handle is at bmorons. Be gentle, Scotty. <laughs> the sad fact, well, one of the sad facts is that there was every reason to believe Nelson Cruz might have joined this list entering the 2014 season. I think a lot of us felt much better about the notion of Kendris Morales. And yet here we are, cruising into mid-September, while Morales is still trying to figure out how to keep his shirt tucked in in Seattle. Now, speaking of tucking in, I'm sure you're aware of the veritable feast of Oriole-centric content available for your aural indulgence at the Baltimore Sports Support Network, of which we're a proud member, alongside our many Sister Wife podcasts. But if by some weird twist of fate you are not, I would like to first apologize that you had to hear about it on this show. (laughs) Which, as you'll learn if you keep listening, is not always as much about baseball as its title and network membership might lead you to believe. But I would then like to envy you, because you have so many awesome listening options that you didn't even know about. Of course... If not knowing about stuff is your passion, (laughs) then you're going to love this show. (laughs)
1: We are very good at that.
0: We are very, very good at expounding for dozens of minutes at a time on topics about which we understand very little. It's a dangerous high wire act, to be sure, and it only works because we tend to start things off with the segment you're about to hear, wherein Alan Smith, my esteemed co-host, leverages his peerless wit, charm, and cultural acumen into an opening essay which, if all goes according to plan makes everything that follows it seem much more significant than it actually is. So here he is, ambitious as ever, to
1: kick off episode 106. We've got a bit of a history lesson for you all today on episode 106. Travel with me, morons, to 1940, when the AA Baltimore Orioles, who were at the time an affiliate of the Philadelphia Phillies in the National League, were struggling through a bit of a down year. Of course, in 1940, the fog of war had rolled across Europe, and America was anxiously watching the German advance. On the home front, the Orioles weren't doing much to distract the local faithful. A strong start to the year had fizzled, and the O's found themselves miles away from the playoffs, simply playing out the string. To make matters worse, on this particular dog day in August, Hans the Horrible Hun Hitzig Was in town to pitch. Something of a novelty, the giant German came to Baltimore undefeated in 17 starts for the Murfreesboro Mudcats. Standing at 6'5 and tipping the scales at 271 pounds, Hitzig's glower when he stared in at home plate had been known to make more than one umpire need to take a trip to the little boys' room. And against the Orioles that day, Hitzig was wild but effective. His fastball was hitting into the mid 90s, and he'd allowed only a single hit to go along with three walks and three hits batsmen. He'd also provided all of the Mudcats offense himself with a screaming double that scored two in the top of the fifth. So, two to nothing in the bottom of the ninth inning, Hitzig managed to strike out the Orioles' third baseman, Skeeter Winfield. But then an error allowed Biff Rickles to reach first and Hitzig beamed John Crackerjack Walker to put men on first and second. After Orioles catcher Finnegan Fitzpatrick popped out to shallow right, to the plate strode little Wally Ix, a utility infielder who hadn't recorded an at-bat in nearly two weeks. Ix, you see, had been off at basic training after enlisting in the Navy. He wasn't needed on deployment just yet, as there was no official war to send him off to, so he'd rejoined the team and had come into the game in the 8th inning when the Orioles starting 2nd baseman Gene Corbett had gone down with a groin strain hustling to beat out a bunt. Ix, a nominal switch hitter, had never swung a good bat from the left side of the plate. He was hitting only 187 from that side on the season and had only reached 220 on his cumulative average. Still, the young man stood in gamely against Hitzig's Heat, and found himself quickly in a plucky but predictable O2 hole. But then Baltimoreans, something magical happened. Ix started fouling off pitches. One, two, three, four fastballs in a row were spoiled by the diminutive swing of the five foot six Ix. After a ball which almost went over the catcher's head and all the way to the backstop, Ix then fouled off three more fastballs and a change-up for good measure. It was a warm day in Baltimore, as it often is in August, and Hitzig was starting to sweat under his giant German beard. Still, he used the 12th pitch of the bat to move Ix back, thinking to force the little man into some happy feet, worrying about his own personal safety. Now even on a 2-2 count, Ix fouled off the 13th pitch, and then the 14th. The O's home crowd perhaps realizing that they were seeing a battle that could proxy great or terrible things to come on the geopolitical scale, or because they'd all been enjoying the repeal of Prohibition just a little too much in the summer heat, were on their feet now, cheering and clapping. The 15th pitch went into the seats. The 16th trickled foul down by the first base side. The Mudcats catcher signaled for a timeout and went out to the mound to calm Hitzig, who was clearly beginning to labor. Strike three was ruined yet again on the 17th pitch and the entire crowd roared as one as the 18th pitch went over the third base dugout and safely into the stands. The 19th followed. And the 20th. Even Orioles manager Floyd Chicken Neck Davis, a man who hadn't been seen smiling since 1934, had his cap off and was urging Ix on. Finally, finally on the 21st pitch, Wally Ix smacked a ball over the head of the third baseman, who was so surprised that a ball was in play that he failed to get his glove up in time. The ball rattled into the corner and then ricocheted back into left field as Wriggles and then Walker came around to score. Ix, in with an easy triple, decided to go for broke anyway and blew through the stop sign that Orioles third base coach Bert Buttersnap threw up. The throw came home. There was a collision at the plate. But the catcher held on and Ix was out. A perfect relay by Mudcats shortstop Red Wilcox had gotten him by more than a foot. The O's would go on to lose the game in the 11th, and Ix was eventually assigned to the USS Arizona, although he did manage to survive the horrors of Pearl Harbor the next year. But his tremendous at-bat was commemorated the very next day by the Baltimore Sun, whose hawkish editor was well aware of the geopolitical significance of the match the day before. The Sun's sports page headline screamed, At least one hundred's icks. At least 106? Is, is this thing on? <laughs>
0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Andy Van Slyke Franchise Report, where each week we take the three most relevant news items from Birdland
1: and beyond, and assign them a ranking ranging from strikeout to home run. Item number one on this week's report. The Orioles' increasingly inevitable march toward the AL East title continues apace, but Baltimore fans collectively winced this week when shortstop J.J. Hardy was sent back to Baltimore for an MRI on his back. The initial results appear to be less terrifying than initially feared, but losing Hardy for the stretch run, and perhaps the playoffs, would obviously be a crushing blow. Sam, am I allowed to exhale yet? No. Shit. You are not allowed to exhale yet.
0: Uh, The reason I say you're not allowed to exhale is because my ranking of this is one twitch of John Russell's eyeball. (laughs) Because... John Russell's eyeball, as longtime listeners to the show are aware, I have a strange fascination with John Russell's eyes. I think they are windows to a simpler world. <laughs> and I think the J.J. Hardy injury would be, if it ends up being more serious than it seems like it is right now, would be the first injury to befall the Orioles in 2014 that would make me scared that our preternaturally unbelievable pitching is not going to be enough to sustain us for the stretch run. I don't think it'll end up costing us the division title, but this team gets by on offense. It gets by on home runs. But in the in the few occasions when that hasn't happened, more often than not, especially lately, it's been clutch hitting from J.J. Hardy. That is what has put us over the edge when we're not able to muscle up and just assault the other team with long balls. With that... It is also J.J. Hardy's incredible defensive instincts, which have kept the infield as a functioning unit in the absence of Machado. And if we don't have Hardy also, it's not that I think Flaherty can't hack it in general. I think that. <laughs> but he does not have J.J. Hardy's sixth sense yep. for for playing shortstop at the major league level. He doesn't have J.J. Hardy's... Uh, encyclopedic knowledge of every single opposing hitter's tendencies and ability to pre-position himself. Um, So the combination of losing those two things, we could eat the Weeders thing, I think, because we were able to make up for his offense with Steve Pierce, and we were able to make up for his defense with Caleb Joseph. We have been able to eat the Machado thing so far, I think, again, because we've gotten offense from some unlikely sources. And because we've had J.J. Hardy field-generaling his, his chiseled backside off for us. If you take him out of the mix, though, I actually think J.J. Hardy might be the most irreplaceable guy on this team.
1: Especially after losing those other two field generals.
0: Certainly. Certainly.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going to totally agree with all those things. I'm going to give this the ranking of uh, watching a, an Orioles game and have them put the tarp on the field for a rain delay and then take it off and then put it back on and then take it off and then put it back on because this entire season has been waiting on pins and needles for MRIs. There's been, there's been so many ridiculous like trips to Dr. Andrews and then not trips to Dr. Andrews and was going to come back and then he isn't. And then Machado was going to be fine. And now he isn't that I, I'm just, I'm just terrified. I'm constantly terrified. And it's ridiculous that if you were to have ranked, all of the different injuries that were going to happen this year, I would have thought that a Chris Davis oblique and a Machado knee and a Weeders throwing arm would be significantly more important than J.J. Hardy back spasms or a Steve Pierce oblique. Like, what the hell does a Steve Pierce oblique have to do with the playoffs? But it turns out that's another one of these high-stakes MRIs that we've had (laughs) to sort of sweat through as we were waiting to hear what's going to happen going into the, the playoffs. And... I do have a bit of a bone to pick with the Orioles uh, medical staff because while I totally understand Buck's desire to not give away any information to the opposition and keep them guessing up until the point when he publishes his lineup card, like the you know Silver Fox that he is, <laughs> I, I just I'm fucking sick of being told that everyone is a game away from returning when that is manifestly not the case. We sat here in
0: the run-up to this season talking about the mysterious nature of the Orioles' medical evaluation team, and here we are at the tail end of the regular season talking about them again.
1: Props on the Grant Balfour thing, though, guys. Nice job.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They were right once. Maybe they'll be right again. (laughs) Item number two on the Andy Van Slyke franchise report. Yahoo's Jeff Passan published a fascinating article this week calling for an updated approach to the wins-above-replacement metric that's become so prevalent in determining player value. Among the many intriguing points in the piece is the fact that the inconsistent way that war metrics evaluate defense results in valuations that increasingly defy logic. If asked to rattle off the 20 most valuable players of the 2014 season, I doubt most fans would name Jason Hayward, Brian Dozier, Ian Kinsler, Adam Eaton, or our own Stephen Wayne Pierce. And yet each of those guys appears on the actual list of top 20 most valuable players by war, depending on your preference for either the baseball reference or Fangraph's version of the metric. Alan, what do you make of this development in the ongoing trend towards
1: analytical revolution? Something in uh, Jeff's article said that we need to do better. No, we don't. (laughs) <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> Winds above replacement is a fairly meaningless measurement in a ongoing attempt to quantify something which is just as enjoyable if it's not quantified. That's like trying to say we absolutely have to define exactly when Picasso's blue period ends and his next period begins. Because without that strict definition, we don't <laughs> understand how much we appreciate his work (laughs) malarkey it's all much ado about nothing and i don't care because i think that i understand the desire to do a better job of defining what is or is not uh, a player's success in the league and i do understand that if people are spending their time and energy um trying to define that they should try to get as close to an accurate representation of a player's worth as they can but frankly It's throwing good money after bad as far as I'm concerned because I don't think any of those things really encapsulate what it is to be, say, Caleb Joseph come in and anchored a rotation, which is now fantastic, and is playing gold glove defense behind the plate. I I don't think there's really anything that I could
0: say that could top all of the (laughs) brilliant things that you just said. Uh, So far, Alan is winning this episode, Um, but
1: how's my war on the episode though
0: (laughs) (laughs) but i would like to i would like to submit briefly a a rating of my own which is one subreddit for your kink of choice (laughs) um and when i if you know what that means you get it and if you don't know what it means it's really not worth explaining True. Um, (laughs) but uh basically what i'm saying is to me War is this kind of invented thing that it's really fun for baseball nerds to kick around and have uh, extensive debates about. But there is very little evidence, at least to me, that the finding a truly reliable way of calculating this figure has a measurable effect on the amount of money that players receive in contract negotiations. That is almost never accurate when we look at the... <laughs> Contracts That actual players get Masahiro nope. Tanaka got nope. <laughs> $20 million a year, never having thrown a pitch in the major leagues. And I am sure that that had nothing to do with anyone looking at the Japanese professional baseball league adjusted wins against replacement. Value of his work there as compared to a zips or steamer projection of what he might be able to do here, and then uh, took those numbers and ran them through some kind of regression to come up with a low end and a high end on a spectrum, blah, blah, blah. No, what happened is Masahiro Tanaka's agent successfully pitched him <laughs> as the hottest <laughs> imported product. This is the mysteries of the Orient in pitching form. And although he probably was not racist, um, <laughs> and and they they successfully created a value around that, and that became a number that only a certain number of teams could compete on. And the jury's still out, right? I mean, Tanaka was dominant at first, but now he's hurt. Who knows when he's going to be back? the The reality is his propensity for injury and the the amount of hype. And uh, marketing that went into his valuation had nothing to do with wins above replacement and won't have anything to do with the next giant contract. If that's not the value of wins above replacement,
1: what is? And finally, folks, we would be remiss if we didn't address this week's development in the Ray Rice saga. As we're all aware by now, a chilling video surfaced this week, which appears to show Rice knocking his wife unconscious in an elevator evidently a few moments before dragging her unconscious body into a hallway, the offense for which he received his initial paltry two-game suspension. This time, of course, the results have been a bit different. Both the NFL and the Ravens have acted quickly following the release of the new video. Rice was immediately cut by the Ravens and then suspended indefinitely by the NFL. Sam, where do we begin here? I'm going to give this
0: one Samuel L. Jackson in Pulp Fiction because this is some fucked-up, repugnant-ass bullshit. Word. And there are so many things to say about this, almost all of which have already been said. Yep. But the one thing that I would really like to zero in on is there's a lot of people out there who are saying, well, the Ravens finally did the right thing. No, they didn't. Nope. They did not do the right thing. It's not doing the right thing to retroactively do what you should have done from the beginning after there is so much overwhelming evidence that you've been presented with that it would hurt your own reputation to not do the right thing now. That's not doing the right thing. But more than that, what the Ravens haven't done is they have not taken a stand about the implications of what Ray Rice did. They haven't come out and said, not only is Ray Rice cut from this team. Mm -hmm. But we will not tolerate that Mm -hmm. kind of behavior from anyone that's a member of our on-field staff, that's a member of our front office staff, that's a member of our organization in any way, shape, or form. And furthermore, we will take X percentage of the unbelievable amount of profit that we generate as a National Football League team, and we will try to take the visibility that has been brought to this issue by virtue of the fact that a high-priced athlete was the perpetrator of this violence by making a donation to a charity that helps women who are victims of domestic violence? Where is that? Yeah. It's inexcusable to me that nothing remotely like that has accompanied this, and it was inexcusable when the news came out the first time because... No one was under any... Uh, the other thing that's ridiculous about this is the Ravens are operating under this logic that like, oh, well, now that we know what actually happened, right? now we're actually yeah, going to cut him. We give knew it me happened. No, we knew a it happened. fucking
1: break. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm going to give this a ranking of one uh, Jake English soapbox rant from yesterday's Bird's Eye View. It was very good. I would urge you all to check it out. Bird's Eye View podcast, one of our many Sister Wife podcasts. Also specifically saying that not that he particularly has any interest in letting Ray Rice off the hook but that nothing has changed and that that's a very important point in how the Ravens didn't handle this in any way like he would want to want them to have handled it as a Ravens fan. I also just want to lift up um the the new sort of why I stayed rhetoric which is coming out of this I think which is something I would urge any listener to this podcast and probably listening to this podcast, you already know what I'm going to say. But, uh, you know, I think the the thing that is being missed in all of this discussion about whether Ray Rice can continue to play football is Ray Rice's fiancée, nay, wife. Um, and she came out today, uh, Janae came out today, asking the, you know, saying that this has all been a nightmare and she wishes the media would just leave her, her and her husband alone and that they've already suffered enough and that why can't he play football? And I think that that has given rise to a lot of very interesting rhetoric about her blaming her in different ways and in different amounts for the attack and blaming her in different ways and different amounts for then marrying this man Um, and I think that I would urge everyone listening to have uh, a bit of empathy for people who are the victims of this sort of abuse because it is not and has never been as simple as saying well, I don't like how he's treating me in this moment, so I will now leave. There are many, many factors that go beyond kids, that go beyond uh, you know the financial security that she for sure would lose by breaking up with somebody, the, the way her life would change. And I think go into the deep psychological realities of abuse and of believing after a period of time that that is what you deserve as a person and that is what you have been uh, – the lot you have been dealt in life. So I think that of all of these things that I'm the most frustrated by, I think that anyone out there uh, claiming to to be a, a human being with an iota of empathy and then saying that this woman uh, is in any way culpable in, you know, being hit or in any way, like, asking for a continued or accepting of a continued abusive relationship by then choosing to marry this person doesn't particularly understand human psychology, nor what it must be like to be in a relationship with someone who is a physical specimen like that. Alrighty. Well, uh, let's go now and a an attempt to turn things around to a villain that we can all agree on, Ben Mastin. <laughs> Yankees fan and friend of the podcast. Coming up next.
0: Benjamin, Benjamin, Benjamin.
2: Hi. Hold on. Let me turn off, ironically, the Yankee game so that I'm not sucking up bandwidth here. And I assume, I assume, as is tradition, we've been recording since the moment I picked up.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, for show. I <laughs> was just, I was just going to quip that I like that you used the phrase Yankees and sucking in the same sentence.
2: Oh, that's cute. Yeah. That's cute. You, you must be real proud of that.
0: <laughs> you know how I roll. Yeah. If it puns, it runs. That's the
2: Baltimoreans'
1: motto. <laughs> And you haven't even heard this week's intro. <laughs>
2: <laughs> your show, your show will give people a case of the runs.
0: <laughs> Welcome back to Baltimore Ons, Benjamin. It's great to Thank have you. you. Thank you. I, I like that we've done away with the preamble of pretending that we're not <laughs> recording from the instant we pick up. Well, I was gonna. I mean, I was gonna write an intro for Ben, but it was like, I, you know, it, it's Ben. Ben's back on the show. That. What else do you yeah, need to I know? I mean,
2: people who are listening to this are either sick of me already, or they will be soon. So, I mean, that's. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no need to beat around the bush. Yeah. So, so let's let's go ahead and jump right into it, Benjamin. Uh the first thing we wanted to talk to you about this evening is uh you know, on this show and uh you know, on a on a, a number of other non-yankee independent media outlets, a certain amount have, of fun has been had at the expense of the Derek Jeter farewell tour. Um we have in the past referred to it as a little cheesy, a little maudlin, uh, etc. But, but the fact of the matter is, at the end of the day, both Alan and I, and I think a lot of Orioles fans have a lot of respect, I'm sorry, a lot of re pecked <laughs> for Derek and everything he's accomplished. But I actually have not really gotten a chance to talk to any actual Yankee fans about your perception, not just of the farewell tour and how it's been handled, but also, what are, what are the emotions that you have about Derek retiring? Is it different than Mariano? How are you feeling?
2: Well, first of all, you're not wrong that the farewell tour is cheesy and maudlin. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> you you feel that way because it's true. I mean, like you know, Fair. I mean, the, the thing about Derek Jeter is like he's actually one of the things that has made him so noteworthy is that like the big drama is not typically his thing, right? You know, it's it's uh, so it's it feels a bit weird, and you can tell that Jeter feels a little bit weird about it himself. Uh, is that, you know, every single time he goes anywhere, there's these ceremonies and people are handing him gifts and doing all those things. And the worst offender actually was the Yankees own ceremony, you know, this weekend. Yeah. Which was just a great big wheel of cheese. I mean,
0: (laughs) Camembert.
2: Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, it's even when Derek gave his speech, it wasn't like Jeter. Jeter is not an engaging speaker. He's not like he's not a big personality. I mean, his his thing was basically like, thank you very much. Thank you to the fans. Thank you for George Steinberg. Thank you. that. to that's very good to be, you know, and that's all nice. <laughs> right. But, you know, and, and I'm sure he means it. But, you know, it's it's fairly the thing that's going to be cool to me is the last home game at Yankee Stadium, which is against you guys, in fact. Yep. So you guys are going to get to see this, too, whether you want it or not. And is I'm going to really no matter what I'm doing that day, I'm watching that game and I want to listen to the fans go bananas because that to me is going to be the real send off. And that's going to be far more genuine than than all of this sort of pomp and circumstance.
0: Right, right. There's going to be more there's going to be more authenticity there than in this kind of ginned up ceremony that they did because they knew they needed to do some kind of ginned up ceremony.
2: Right, exactly. I mean, it's like, you know, the Yankees never do anything tastefully <laughs>
0: <laughs> finally you admit it
2: <laughs> no i mean it's not it's not, there's nothing to admit like it's a blatant fact i mean i love the team i love the team in spite of that nonsense you sure. know it's yeah. not because of it there of course, are unfortunately people who do love them because of it but that's not particularly my thing
0: (laughs) people who people who earnestly go out and buy the new york yankee cologne that they now sell
2: right exactly well i think jeter himself has had some kind of fragrance on the market for quite a while
1: (laughs) sure (laughs) sure he puts in the baskets um yeah so yeah
2: well and here's but here's the thing actually this this leads into a joke that i knew was going to happen so i'm gonna i'm gonna bring this up (laughs) okay so as far as the jeter the jeter shall we say uh thank you baskets go right you know, isn't it like... this? this I love is,
0: that you knew we were going <laughs> to try to take you there, by the way. Of
2: course I knew. So so here's, here's the thing, right? In a week where over in the NFL, we're talking about Ray Rice doing something fairly horrible to a woman. I think a good contrast in why Jeter has like actually gotten... It, it, this is a joke too, obviously. But like, the reason Jeter has like respect for like not making a fuss and like not making a big issue is like he didn't sock anybody if in the face. He left them a
1: nice <laughs> gift basket. Never <laughs> punched anybody. Only gave them a gift. And I, I think that's I think that's totally accurate. Right. They're totally accurate. So Ben, we, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna confer on you the moniker of true Yankees fan. Um, nice. and I, nice. I, I, think I think that that is a, a an accurate phrase. But yeah. do you feel at all? Um that at this point, true Yankees fans like yourself are beginning to resent the farewell tour simply because it's starting to feel like a very clear wallpapering over the flaw of the team?
2: I don't know. I think it's just timing. I don't think the Yankees wanted it to be wallpapering because ideally they didn't want there to be anything to wallpaper over. They thought they'd sure. be in the playoff hunt by now. When the year started, they were they were super sold. I mean, I don't know. You know, it's it's certainly... They certainly haven't been to the to the eye of anybody who's been watching a large number of their games for a few months now. But like I yeah, absolutely. No, I, I, I think we thought this is great. We restocked the lineup, it's gonna be Jeter's final year. We'll get this nice send off and we'll be playing meaningful games in the fall and of right. course you know, and technically the games are still
1: meaningful, but it's... <laughs> <laughs> Only just by the skin of your teeth.
0: I'd agree, yeah. though. I mean, I you know, the they spent this past offseason in a way that they haven't spent since the 2008 offseason in the run-up to, uh, to the 2009 World Series. Um, yeah. And, you know, and, and truthfully there have been some injuries and stuff, but I was, I was afraid going into the season. It seemed like they had really swung a lot of deals that were designed for exactly what you're talking about.
2: Yeah. And I mean, the Ellsbury deal is terrible and I hate it, but it certainly in the short term was going to look more interesting than it has. And, and Beltron, I don't think anybody thought he was going to be the shade of himself. And everybody knew that Teixeira's production would be diminished, but not quite how much. and, right. You know, and and people I thought don't McCann any, but, was
1: gonna McCann was yeah, gonna pan out like a lot better that's the than one he has. Where
2: I think nobody could have called it. I think McCann is the one where that was one of the signings where I was like, "Wow, this isn't actually a vanity piece. This is actually something that could really help the team win."
1: So uh, this, this gets I, us this gets know. us a little bit into our our next question for you because another thing that we do love to lampoon the Yankees about is their flotilla of overpriced and rapidly aging free agents. Yeah, um, if you could snap your fingers and jettison one of the, I would say, what's the plural of Albatross? Albatry? Albatry? Albatry. The, the Albatry Contracts. A murder of Albatrosses. Currently have on their books. Which would you choose? And you can't pick A-Rod.
2: Well, I think A Rod may take care of itself because I, really, you know what? We haven't heard a damn thing all year, and I think the Yankees like that very much. I think that's and because they, for the
1: last like three months, A Rod's been trying to grow a mustache and sneak in as like B Rod <laughs> on some yeah. AAA Yankees affiliate. Yeah.
2: What? Who? No, I'm I'm Ballex Rodriguez. <laughs> yeah. No. So I, I think you know, God. I mean, whatever else you have to say about this year for the Yanks, and there's been plenty bad to say. <laughs> You know what? A Rod hasn't been on in the mix at
1: all, yep, and that's no media. Been delightful.
0: That's true I mean in maybe in arguably the f- one of not the first classy move of his entire career, but one of the few he does seem to have recognized that this is Jeter's year to say goodbye and it's not about his i I drama. think that's
2: giving him too much credit I think <laughs> okay. he was, no I'm serious I think he was i don't think he thought about that for a second i I think sure. he was basically like, well writing's on the wall I'm gonna have to sit out this year so i'm it, I might as well do it you yeah. know i so uh, um well, I think McCann will actually bounce back, and again, I think he yeah. remains r- retains the potential to actually be a useful piece because he's he's good defensively, and I think his his offense will return somewhat. Beltran, it's tough to it's tough to know what we're gonna get because of the injury, but he also is only on the books for a couple more years. I think it has to be Ellsbury. Yeah, really, because he yeah.
1: he in the later half of the season um, has been pretty productive.
2: He has, and he's you know he's not been terrible all year, but he is not seven seasons worth of contract.
1: Yeah. So you you think you know. that you'd rather take Ellsbury and the and the looming you know the the one and a half or two more seasons you're going to get out of him over CC Sabathia, who may just not be a major league baseball pitcher anymore.
2: That's true. I you know actually you know what's hilarious slash awful about that from a Yankee fan perspective <laughs> is CC has been out of the mix for us for so long. I didn't even think about him. Yeah. 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 That's um, real.
0: <laughs> You know, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to agree with you, though. I, uh, to me, if, if we're, at, we're at the Orioles we were talking about, I think I would go with Ellsbury also because, to me, it's the Ellsbury one that's going to be the most impossible to move and yeah. the least valuable in the, like, droopy last three-year period of the contract because at least with Sabathia, you won a World Series and you got some unbelievably elite performance out of him oh, for yeah. as talking, long as you did. Are we talking
1: the life of the contract or are we talking you could axe tomorrow?
2: Well, well, both. I mean, with CC though, I mean, you know, it's true. He was great until suddenly he wasn't. You don't. You don't want to
1: retroactively go back and remove the CC Sabathia legacy from the Yankees. He's been worth the money so far.
2: Yeah. This is we don't have a we don't have a time machine here, right?
1: (laughs) But if you're going to cut it right now, I I I have to I have to look at my boy CC. Yeah,
2: the the man was born. Consider that too. I agree.
1: He's he's 34 now. I'm 31. And when I moved too quickly getting on the subway, I hurt myself for four days.
2: Right. You are also – and, Alan, I love you, but you are
1: <laughs> – No, no. And, and and I was going to acknowledge that I am not the the physical specimen that CeCe Sabathia is, but I'm just going to point out the recovery time doesn't get better as you get older. No, no
2: it doesn't. It doesn't at all. That's absolutely true. Especially yeah, when you – really in is.
1: addition to not
0: being CeCe Sabathia – you you don't have whatever 4000 major league innings on your left arm. Right. <laughs> that that is true.
2: <laughs> right. And probably just as well. Although, you, know, Certainly just you as know, well. here's a here's the thing actually about while we're talking about CC and the pitching staff, in a weird way, the Yankees have actually pieced together a halfway decent starting rotation sure. over the course of this year. Sure. I, you know, they they've their problem for the first time in quite a while has been they just can't score runs, and mm-hmm. you know they've they've had you know okay to above average pitching, which yep. sounds like damning with faint praise, but it has kept a lot of the games close. They they don't get blown out a whole lot. The Yankees they tend to lose one or two run games. Yep, and it's and it's because they just can't get the extra guys across the plate.
1: Yeah, I mean you're you're talking to uh, a group of people who in the Orioles are putting all of our World Series hopes on okay, but not great pitching. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, and it's
0: also, you know, it's really interesting to uh, read the articles that have been coming out out as the sort of like um, recriminations for the Yankee season begins. Uh, One of the moves that gets more praise than any other is the trade for Brandon McCarthy, where they basically said, just go ahead and throw your cutter again and don't change anything else. And it's like night and day.
2: McCarthy's been, McCarthy I don't know how the hell they figured that out but he's been fantastic. You know, Capuano's been fine. Um, you know, Pineda's back and he is no longer experimenting with adhesive substances and so that's, <laughs> you know, that's been that's been nice. Yeah. Um Yeah. Yeah, they but it's the pitching has not really been their problem for the most part.
0: So what do you as you look ahead to this off season uh, obviously, another big spending spree. Probably not in the offings, considering how well this last one worked. Um, yeah.
2: Well, although I think you're giving, I think you're giving the Yankees ownership more credit than they deserve. There. <laughs> That's I true. Mean, They're yeah,
0: obviously going to be I, in the conversation for Scherzer. Obviously, going to be in the conversation for Lester. So let's assume, let's assume they do or they don't bring in another high-priced free agent starting pitcher. What, in your opinion, needs to change right away? For the Yankees to contend again next year,
2: it's tricky because I actually don't see them in such a great position for a couple of years. I mean, I think right. they're going right. to be sort of in it because the AL East is more or less evenly balanced. Yeah, but um, I think I, I think they need. Do you have a dog in your apartment?
0: Wow, you could hear that. Yeah, I can hear that. No, that's from six floors down and somewhere across the street.
2: <laughs> Amazing. Uh, anyway. Um, well, you're, you can ask me about the freight train in my apartment uh, in a little bit here. Anyway, uh,
1: <laughs> so this is all clearly getting a freight train back. in yeah. your apartment. Yeah, I hope you have, have a rent dispensation for that.
0: Is that is that a euphemism for your for your downtown bits?
2: <laughs> no, no, it's an euphemism for It's a non euphemism for an actual freight train that goes within like you know a quarter mile of my apartment. Oh, okay.
0: So. that's that's anyway, comforting but less interesting
2: <laughs> yeah this is all gonna get cut i'm assuming so uh yeah what were we talking about
0: <laughs> what what do the yankees need to do to win next year
2: <laughs> what do the yankees need um they i would really love to see they had terrible infield de- defense this year which has stabilized somewhat uh with the additions of Martín Prado uh, and uh, Chase Headley, Chase Headley, I don't know this off the top of my head, and I should, but I would love if it is his walk year for them to try to resign him because I think he's actually been. A I think nice. you have
1: another year with him. Do no, we? he's he's free agent. He's oh, really? a Free agent. Yeah.
2: I would really like to see if they can get him at like you know a, a, a decent price because he's been he's been. A very good defensive first baseman who is, you know, unremarkable but fine defensive, uh, offensively. And I think that's actually kind of okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, I think that would be a good thing. I, I'm sure I'm going to get, if there's any other Yankee fans who listen to this, I'm sure they're going to jump down my throat about that. But I like Chase Hudley okay. <laughs> I, th- I think the Martin Prado acquisition was actually fairly savvy because they can use him in the infield uh, in a couple different places and, yeah. you know. And, I think
0: the uh, the the yeah. interesting thing about the Prado acquisition is that the Prado's other reputation besides versatility is being a really good clubhouse guy. Yeah, and with and Jeter I, and, out of the clubhouse, there's going to be well, a vacuum I, there.
2: Right, and I think yeah, and there was even a little bit of one when Jorge Posada left as well because he was sort of another one of those guys. Sure. So I feel like yeah, they I I I think that you know the. It's ironic because the Yankees sort of have this weird schizophrenic stance about the clubhouse, right? Which is on the one hand, it's like, oh, we need clubhouse guys. We need leaders. We need Thurman Munson's. We need Derek Jeter's. And on the other hand, they're like, let's sign Kevin Brown. Let's sign Alex Rodriguez. Let's get all these guys. (laughs) It's like, guys, you got to pick one. (laughs) I, I, I would really like to see them aim a little. This is, of course, never going to happen, but I would like to see them like construct a slightly more modest but more complete roster that looks more like a team uh, and doesn't have, you know, these huge, splashy acquisitions unless they also happen to fill a need that we really do have. Right. And I think Tanaka and McCann were both good examples of those. Like, we needed a fucking pitcher. Yep. And And we needed a fucking defensive catcher who could also hit. And, you know, historically, McCann has been that. So, having said all this... This is never actually going to happen. They're going to <laughs> they're going to throw as much money as humanly possible at whoever the flavor of the month is, and the roster that takes shape will either be reflected of their success or failure based on that.
1: So Alright. Well, final question for you, Benjamin. Yes. Um and it refers directly back to the freight train in your pants. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Why haven't you married someone from the MLB singles powered by match dot com yet? Ah, yes.
2: Well, so the longtime listeners to Baltimoreans will recall <laughs> that the last time I was on the show, you guys and I were, were perusing the, Ma- the MLB singles powered by Match.com uh, sign up pages.
0: Yep. And At, great <laughs> At great length.
2: At great length. Maybe more length than anyone wanted. and uh, Sounds yet, like your trousers.
1: Uh, yeah, there <laughs> we go.
2: Sounds like my trousers. Um, so <laughs> there's your. There's I can't your believe
0: you box. haven't been getting any dates with lines like this.
2: Can I tell you this? So as you mentioned on the show the week after that, uh, Match.com did not like the fact that for my description of myself, I just copy pasted the phrase go yanks over and over. Because <laughs> it, they thought it made me sound like a spam bot, which is you know, I guess a reasonable thing to think. Because mm-hmm. I could have just been copy pasting, you know, freight train in your trousers, you know, <laughs> over and over again. Right. You know. Um, so now, so because of all that, we never finished the process and my profile was never complete. But this hasn't actually stopped Match.com from telling me I have matches. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> really? I get at least two emails a day from Match.com and some of them say like you have 16 matches and I know that's not true because I never filled in any actual information about myself other than that I'm a human male <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: well so I mean in your in your dating life match.com uh, powered or otherwise um, yeah. do you I'm actually genuinely curious do you find yourself bringing up baseball or is it something where you're like I gotta I gotta wait until I really think this chick is into me because otherwise It's game over.
2: I'm going to throw the same question back at you because I know that you have had to deal with mixed relationships as well, shall we say, where you care deeply about baseball and the other person really doesn't.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, especially when your opening line is, I do a podcast that takes 10 hours of my week and it's about baseball. (laughs) See, I'm
2: safe. That is not my opening line.
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, see, I
0: would actually say I've actually been very fortunate to be in a couple of relationships in a row now where my inordinate devotion to this utterly meaningless thing uh, has actually been welcomed with strangely open arms. Um, Yes. (laughs) However, as I now unfortunately find myself staring out at a uh, broad vista of singledom again, Uh uh, I'm I'm not really confident that I can set that as like a baseline qualification for my next (laughs) bow.
2: I don't think it's a bow if it's a lady. (laughs) <laughs> Who says it's gonna be a
0: lady?'m I'm, <laughs> I mean, I'm in weird times like, here, Maston.
2: We, we are book. taking the snow globe. we are
0: shaking the motherfucker.
2: <laughs> I look, I, I guess that so we're really we're really taking a 180 in strategy, I, I guess.
0: <laughs> well, so. I'll put it this way and this is a sad note to end on. The previous strategy has not worked. <laughs> <laughs> oh no.
1: <laughs> Oh, Ben Mastin, uh, you can can find him on
2: before I sign off. Can (laughs) I say that if you want a a real, a a real good piece of baseball writing that, that touches on what is, has been very cool about Jeter, which is like the aesthetics of his game and the consistency and just the fact that he is a very, very good baseball (laughs) man is if you, if you want a good piece of writing about that, uh, Roger Angel, who is one of my favorite writers of all kinds, but of baseball stuff in particular, has a piece in the September eighth New Yorker about Derek, and it is a real good and very quick read. So right. people, if people are interested in that, that's a good one, and it's fairly free of the of the nonsense and overinflated Yankee crap.
0: <laughs> no, uh, no word on whether it's free of the overinflated New Yorker crap. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's real good. It's real good. It's real good.
0: All right. Well, uh, Ben Mastin joins us periodically here on Baltimoreans when we cannot find anyone else to talk to. I kid, I kid.
2: No, I. You don't. Have, that's not a joke. I know that that's a true statement.
0: You can find uh, Ben. Um, uh, well, you you, you probably can't match. find him.
2: Com. Yeah,
0: you can find. Yeah, you can find Ben on MLB Singles powered by Match.com.
2: However, you're going to have to look real hard because I don't have a picture. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Benjamin. We'll uh. talk to you again soon. All right.
0: You're listening to Baltimore Arms, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman.
1: And this is Alan Smith, and that is about all the time we have left for this evening, except for Sam, I I have something to relate to you. Uh, I I was dozing off to sleep last night, or maybe I was already asleep. You know that, that space where you're legitimately not sure if you're awake or asleep? Know it well. Know it well. So there I was, maybe asleep, but quite possibly not yet asleep, and suddenly I felt like there was this presence in the room with me. Not like a nefarious presence, you know? Just like something was there. Just like watching me, watching me sleep. And then I heard this strange voice. And the the best way I can describe this voice, Sam, would be that it sounded like what would happen if a cat started to speak, but instead of words, all that came out was silk. And this voice said to me, I mean, it didn't really say to me because it was barely communicating at all in a way that you could legitimately call it saying, but it said to me, Hi, Sam and Alan. Intern Scotland P. Diego here. Just wanted to drop you a line from Vancouver. The Pacific Northwest really is scrumptious this time of year. Anyway, I just wanted to let you know that I'm... And here, Sam, the voice changed timbers until it became, well, a lot more like the sound of a bat or some other flying mammal being disemboweled in flight combined with the sounds of gravel crunching underfoot. Very disappointed. You see, the shape continued... I could forgive one mistake in the nickname episode, say, failing to remember that Caleb Joseph was actually nicknamed Caleb Throsif by Godzilla on Twitter, but also missing that Kevin Gossman should actively have been named the Wonderful Wizard of Gauze, as pointed out by Eye View Baltimore, is entirely unforgivable! Then the… strange shape? disappeared into my wall sam i don't know what to make about that i mean i'm feeling
0: unbelievably guilty yeah that we didn't that we
1: that we got those nicknames wrong
0: i mean to
1: be fair guadzilla had already sent us caleb throsis oh there's no excuse so there's no excuse for that one there's no excuse whatsoever. But I also I, I feel really bad that the the wonderful wizard of gauze had not occurred to us.
0: It it had not occurred to us, dude.
1: <laughs> had not occurred to us. Um. Well, we apologize. We apologize to everyone. Um. We'll do better next time. And to make it up to you, we will of course be uh, uh, continuing to nickname everyone that comes up. And we would assi- love your assistance in that endeavor. At be morons. The wonderful wizard of gauze is
0: fantastic (laughs) that's very very good you know what's not fantastic what's that intern scotty haunting your dreams
1: was i asleep though it's hard to say it sounds like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter i mean it's getting a little creepy scotty it's getting a little weird and also you know how he
0: he usually kind of contextualizes where he is and like why right this time it's like why is he in vancouver
1: well at least he was enjoying himself there's that plus.
0: It it sounds like maybe he's enjoying himself when he's in these places, but then he catches the mistakes that we make and he gets like really upset. Yeah, he is getting really angry. I don't I don't want us to be upsetting him that much. Well, we'll just have to do better on the podcast, Sam. <laughs> well, with that in mind, I will now try to do the music credits. <laughs> You've been listening to Baltimoreans which is written and produced by Alan Smith and Sam Dingman and available for your listening on iTunes, where we would welcome your reviews, and on the internet at our website, www.bmorons.com. The music on the show this week, here we go, was our theme song, which is written and performed by Marshall York, the song, Working for Another Song, which is by the band Town Hall, the song, Birdland, by Weather Report, which we play between segments, The song Free Reggae High Bop, which is by James Carter from the album Conversion with the Elders and plays underneath Alan Smith's typically brilliant intros, and here on the outro, it's Kicking My Heart Around by the Black Crows. Suck it, Scotty. Woo! Woo! Speaking of sucking, Alan. Uh Uh-huh.
1: Alan. Don't have one yet. Alan, Alan, Alan.
0: (laughs) Let let me tell you a few things, Alan. <laughs> what is Henry Erudia's favorite Henry James novel? I don't know. It's the turn of the screw rudia. Buonanotte.